Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hey friends, thanks one more time for joining us on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. I'm John Russin, your host, Frank Friedman, your color commentator. And we're happy to have you join us today. Frank, I called your color commentator, man. I guess I watched a football game the other day and uh, I got my signals crossed. There you go. <laughs> you know, friends, in this series of episodes, we've been talking about uh, Pastor Frank's most recent book, Finding God of the Gray, The Lonely Path of Pain. And we spent some time in our last chat talking about a number of topics called the agony of faith and uh then we hit on the fact that God never forgets our tears. But I want to go back, Frank, to a thought that you and I had that we didn't really explore as fully. I made the reference to watching an old Western and the Indians attack, and the settlers did everything they could to protect themselves. Women and children in the middle under the wagons, circling the wagons, put the horses away, you know, do everything they can to marshal their resources and fight their hardest. And you told me that you had a, uh, a story from many years ago that you'd like to tell. So why don't we start out right there? Uh, it's you know, self-disclosure. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be embarrassing. Listeners, you may want to plug your ears. If you have a high view of Pastor Frank, you may want to plug your ears of this one. Well, you know, it's funny because, you know, in the New Testament, we're told that Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And that word obedience is actually to listen under. He learned to listen under the voice of his father through the things that he suffered. So we're all in that process. And when the things suffer come into our lives, we don't like pain, so we recoil. And we bring all of our resources into play to fix what has come into our lives because we don't like it. And the thought of trusting God is not very often an instantaneous thought. It's not the thought at the forefront of our minds. The first thought is, how do I deliver myself? You know, if your hand hits a hot burner, what do you do? You bring all your resources into play and get that hand off that burner. It's not normal to hit that hand on the burner and say, Father, are you going to deliver me? It's it's not normal. So I'm learning to listen out of the voice of God. And I had this funny story pop into my brain. We were years ago, all the family loaded up in the van and we were going on a family outing south louisiana in august it had rained for days but the sun had broken through hot sweltery humidity you know what it's like john so we were going down i-12 and we got a flat tire so pulled over to the side of the road and of course with the interstate you don't want to be on those narrow shoulders so i pulled into the grass the problem was with all that rain and south louisiana mud and gumbo dirt we sunk so when I tried to jack up the car, the jack would just keep sinking. So I go down into the woods and I'm picking up pieces of wood. And of course there's no rocks in South Louisiana. So just anything I could find to provide a foundation. 
So the jack would jack up the car and I could change my tire. Well, I spent hour, hour and 15, maybe an hour and a half out in that hot August, Louisiana. And I finally came to the end of my resources, got in the car and said, I better call a tow truck. Well, fast forward, next Tuesday night, we're at an elders meeting. And one of the deacons there, we all met together. He raised his hand. He said, can I share a word of testimony? We're like, sure. She said, well, we were on a family outing Saturday and we blew a tire. So I got over to the side of the road and parked the car. And I looked back. I said, is everybody okay? And everybody was okay. And I said, okay, family, well, let's pray and, and ask the father to show us how to get out of this. And so they prayed. And just then a tow truck driver dove by and he jacked up the car and changed their tire. And everybody was like, wow, that's so wonderful. So, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to be frank and honest. So I said, well, let me testify of my story. <laughs> I trusted God, but only after I spent an hour and a half trying to deliver myself. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, as funny as that sounds, uh, the reason it's so funny is because we have all been there. Maybe not on the side of a road in Louisiana, <laughs> but we've all been at the end of our ropes. We've got no more strands left. And it's so sad, but that's generally when we say, wow, God, you got to help me. I'm, I'm plumb out of fixes here. <laughs> I wish I'd have handled it like that other guy. <laughs> we were yeah. going that family outing and my shirt was drenched. <laughs> oh, well, you know, but uh, I appreciate the candidness and uh, I'm sure we all, we all know exactly how you feel. Yeah. Learning but, uh, obedience. <laughs> learning obedience. That's right. He learned obedience by the things he suffered. And uh, that applies to us. Yes, too. He could have gotten out that uh, mess perhaps a little sooner. But yep. uh, anyway, God is God <laughs> and uh, he took care of you. So thanks for sharing that and uh, exposing your tender underbelly, my friend. <laughs> I'd like to say 30 years later, I'm doing better. But, you know, a lot of times I'm still trying to deliver myself instead of trusting him. And that's that, uh, that agony of faith that we're all in, learning to trust him and take our eyes off the circumstance and off our resources. You know, I'd love to stand up and say that I'm doing better. I'm not sure how honest I would be. I think I'd be marginally honest, but uh, I think we all, we all struggle. So listeners, thanks for letting us uh, go back and expand on that. But Frank, there's another thought I want to go back on and expand on. We talked about at great length last time, uh, the importance of the word, but, and we made this observation that when we're saying something, generally the thing that we say after we say the word, but generally defines what we believe. Things like, man, this terrible thing happened, but God is greater than this. Or, man, I know God loves me and God's great, but man, this thing hurts so much. And if you listen to both of those statements, your emotions can get turned totally upside down because they lead you in different directions. And what I want to do this time, Frank, is spend some time talking about the importance of our focus, our setting our mind on, you know, focusing on what do we really, truly believe in our heart of hearts. And I want to challenge the listeners one more time to pay attention to what you say and how you say it. And when you use that phrase, but listen to what you say after it, because it really is insightful as to where your mind 
is set. Boy, that's a huge topic, John. And I, I was so indebted, as I knew you are too, to a dear brother who's now with the Lord named Bill Gillum, because he really unlocked this for both of us 30 years ago. And that was, he taught that, you know, there's not one verse in the Bible that says, change the way you feel. And if you think about it, it's because there's no switch. We can't switch on or switch off emotions. What we can do and what we're told to do in the New Testament is change the way we think. So, you know, if I looked at you, John, and said, make yourself sad, you can't do that. You can't turn on a switch and be sad. But if I backed away from you and said, John, I'm going to give you five minutes, make yourself sad, you could do it. But you would do it not by turning on the emotions, but by setting your mind on sad things. And then you could make yourself sad. So it's a very important lesson. Our emotions follow our mind. And that's why scripture both Old Testament and New Testament hammers on this issue of setting your mind, changing your focus, because that's the way we can harness and corral some of these negative emotions that really, if we're going to be honest, seek to lead us around by the nose. Oh, yes. It's like the tail wagging the dog. And dear listeners, we need to be honest some of the pains that we have experienced, Frank and I, and we trust that some of the pains you have experienced uh, have been absolutely overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And I'm certain that there have been times in all of our lives where you reach a point where you say, I just can't take this anymore. This is too much for me to handle. I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm helpless. I can't think about anything else. Well, that may be how we feel. That's not the truth. The scripture is really clear. Set your mind on things above, Paul tells us. And in my mind, that, that makes a, um, a picture. You know, I, I worked for LSU for many years, Frank, as you know, and we had one of our research stations way down in South Louisiana. And of course, the hurricanes would wreak havoc on it until we decided to expend the money and manipulate and fix our facilities so that they are set in so much concrete that no storm and no flood could move them. So when I think mm. of setting my mind, I think about pouring those footers so deep that that building will not move. Here's another one that comes to mind. If you've ever been to the ocean, and we don't have oceans here in Arizona, but if you've been to the ocean and you've gone down to the rocks or you've gone to a pier, you'll notice that on those rocks, just at the waterline or on those piers, uh, just at the waterline, you'll see barnacles. And it doesn't matter whether there is a high water, low water, calm seas, vicious hurricane storm, those barnacles don't go anywhere because they are cemented to those rocks. They are cemented to those, uh, those pilings. And so when I think of setting my mind, those are the word pictures that I get. It's an absolute rock solid, grit your teeth, 
immovability in how you think. Your mm. feelings may be all over the place, but where I set my mind, how I think about things, that's going to be my anchor. Mm. You know, as I'm listening to you, John, probably the most descriptive passage that communicates what happens to us with where we set our mind, from my perspective, is Lamentations 3. And you know, Lamentations is a book that nobody wants to read. Yeah, <laughs> who does? It's sad, man. Yeah, let's lament together. But the context, of course, is Jerusalem has been burned to the ground. The Chaldeans come in, destroyed everything, carted off the people to bring them to Babylon and try to turn them into Babylonians. And there's the remnant, and Jeremiah's in the remnant, and he's sitting in the ashes of the once beautiful city. And people are dead all around him. And when you read Lamentations 3, we get his mind. And he is fixated on those horrible circumstances. And this is what his mind is saying. If we could coin a term, this is his self-talk. This is how he talks to himself. And he said, there's destruction all around me. There's misery. I'm as bitter as wormwood. And then he starts self-talking about God. And he says that God has just ambushed us and he doesn't like me. He's like a bear lying in wait. He's like a lion. He's got a bow and arrow and I'm the bullseye and he's waiting to devour me. And then you hear his emotions. He says, I have no hope. I have no peace. In other words, I'm full of anxiety and sorrow and hurt and depression. And here's the key. He says it twice. Remembering my affliction, remembering my affliction all the day long. So where's his self-talk? Where's his mind? It's on his circumstances and his inability to deliver himself from the circumstances. And he's a miserable man. Then all of a sudden, something happens around verse 21. He says, this I recalled in my mind. Uh-oh, he changed his focus. That God is faithful and his mercies are new every morning. Therefore, I have hope. Amazing. None of his circumstances has changed. He's still sitting in the ashes and the rubble, but he changed his mind. And all of a sudden, the hope and the peace replaced the hurt, the sorrow, and the depression. Amazing. Right. That's the agony of faith. Yeah. That we talked about last week. Indeed. It's, it really is. Because the hardest thing we'll ever do, or seemingly the hardest thing we'll ever do, is to set our mind on truth when our emotions are an absolute whirlwind. And we've all been there, but Jeremiah was able to accomplish what he did because he remembered God. And you know, this is not just a suggestion, Frank, you know this. This is a command throughout the New Testament for our own good. You know, Father is as concerned about our mental, have more concern about our mental circumstance than we are. So he says things like, set your mind on things of the, it says things of the spirit, Romans 8, 
Uh, and this is a command. Be transformed by renewing your mind, Romans 12. Set your mind on things above, Colossians 3. And you know, think on the things that are true, lovely, pure, worthy of praise. That's where you let your mind dwell, right there. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what Jeremiah did. Those uh, pieces of advice and uh, commands weren't written yet, but he followed them. And we can read the results right there on the pages of Lamentations 3. Yeah, and that passage you just quoted, John, setting your mind on the lovely, the pure, the honorable, and the peace that surpasses understanding. It's not going to make sense. You know, in fact, the world is going to look at you and they, they'll say, wait a minute, how can you have peace in the midst of everything you're going through? How can you have hope? I believe, John, that when the travail and the trauma of life comes upon us and we exercise faith, that is the greatest opportunity we have on this planet to testify of Christ because there's people look at us and go, how can you trust him when you're going through that? And it magnifies our faith. It magnifies the peace, the hope, the joy that we have in Christ. It you know, like puts it on display. That's yes, a, it certainly yeah. does. When you reference the Philippians 4, the peace of God will guard your mm. heart. You know that you know this word, Frank. The word mm. guard is, is a military term. And think of it in terms of a sentinel, like a soldier on guard duty. Nothing gets in that isn't supposed to get in. Nothing gets out that isn't supposed to get out. And so that peace will actually work like a, a protective military guard around you. Mm. to keep you secure in your focus on your father. Wow. So it's not just an emotion, in a feeling. Of course, we know that peace is a person. We, Jesus right. is our peace. But he's not just a passive guy. He actually can work as a soldier to protect us against the never-ending attacks from the enemy because he knows when we're hurt, when we're in pain, when we've got grief, when we've got loss, he knows it, and I believe he redoubles his efforts. He sends his mm -hmm. crack troops in to go after us because we are at the most vulnerable time, I think, right then. Yeah. You know, John, as I was listening, I, I had something brought to mind. Our emotions need to be guarded because they can be so out of control. Like you said, we're at our most vulnerable state when they're screaming at us because we'll act totally out of character and do things we would normally never do to try to satisfy and calm those emotions that are out of control. Watchman Nee made a statement years ago. It was so powerful to my mind. He said that when Adam sinned and we lost life with God, we quit living out of the spirit and we began to live more out of the soul. In other words, we began to trust our mind instead of living out of a dependency on the mind of Christ. We overdeveloped the soul. That was the term he used. Yes, I remember that it's, term. It's like when you take a muscle and you exercise it, it gets big. So now as human beings, we don't have a normal emotional state. 
We have emotions. You know, they're screamers. And we don't have a will. We have a will. You know, and the same with the mind. And we try to figure everything out instead of living by faith. But when you take a muscle and put it in a cast, that muscle will atrophy. And I think this is what Watchman Nee was getting at and what Philippians 4 is getting at. When we put a guard on our emotions and we trust the Holy Spirit, we can put that overdeveloped soul into atrophy and get those emotions back down to communicators to us instead of screamers at us. You know, as you said, they're a God-given tool to alert us to our circumstances. When things are good, we feel joy, peace, hope. When things are bad, we feel fear, agony, anxiety. Those are good. They alert us to our circumstances. When they communicate to us, but when they scream at us, we, that puts us in a very dangerous circumstance. Yes, indeed it does. And so the peace, who is our Savior, uh, will guard us against that. He will bring balance. Uh, to our lives so that we can feel grief and pain, but we'll grit our teeth and set our minds. And that's the anchor that he is in our life to do that. It's interesting, Frank, that uh, I mentioned the, the fact that the enemy generally won't miss a chance to come in at us. In fact, he might send, uh, send his, I don't want to say green berets, black berets, the top-notch folks he's got to go after us. But you know what I've seen over the years, my friend, is that a lot of churches who talk about spiritual warfare in a way that I generally don't experience. What I generally see is attacks like this, attacks on our faith. You know, he can't control us. The enemy can't control us. He can't own us. He can't, it's like Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it. He, that's just not possible. Mm-hmm. But what he can do is he can engage us in the battlefield of our mind. And so setting the mind, I found, is so very important in keeping a proper perspective and a proper viewpoint of ourselves in light of our circumstances and in light of our Savior. Mm. Yeah. You know, John, as I'm listening, I'm processing what you're saying. And, you know, this is maybe we can put some brass tacks to this. If I'm feeling lonely and my mind is set on that feeling of loneliness, I'll make a very horrible choice and maybe go commit a sexual sin to try to salve that loneliness. When I'm feeling fear, and if that's where I've got my mindset, I'm not going to engage in relationship. I might lock myself in my house. If I'm feeling angry and I set my mind on that I might react at a circumstance and hurt somebody or end up hurting myself and and so it's very very important to process our emotions with truth and you know that's the line that we put in the book acknowledge those emotions say I know how I feel but what is the truth And so I feel like I want to go put a salve on that lonely feeling. But what is the truth? The truth is I'm never alone. God is with me 24-7. I feel afraid and I feel like I should hide in my house. But what's the truth? The Lord is with me and he's my provision. 
I don't have to do that. And so I know how I feel, but what is the truth is a very powerful motto, um, agenda. I don't want to say formula, but a reality that we need to set our minds on. You know, listening to you talk, Frank, I can't help but thinking about David. You know, David had a pretty rough life, uh, starting with the fact that his father ignored him and discounted him. Shoot, the guy took a rock to a sword fight and he won, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but throughout his life, you know, I especially think about Psalm 56, where he's listing the nightmares that he's facing. Oppression, enemies are fighting against him. He's afraid. They're slandering him. They're trying to trap him. And in that Psalm, in two locations, even though all this is going on in his mind, and I'm sure his emotions are flipping around like popcorn popping, he says this phrase twice, I will trust in you. Wow. So when I hear that, I see Psalm 56, basically, my friend, encapsulating everything we've been talking about. Life can seem a mess. We can seem out of control. We can seem in the ditch, off the road, lost and helpless. And we just feel like we want to end it all. But I will trust in you. So I think everything we've been talking about has been caught up in David, especially mm. it's written there in Psalm 56. Boy, yeah. And you know what? It's really, I love that twice in the same song. Yeah. But I will trust. I, I was thinking when you were talking of Habakkuk, though the fig tree doesn't blossom, there's going to be no fruit on the vine, yet will I trust in you and rejoice in you. That, it's that same theme, John. It's, it's every hero of the faith, really, is I'm experiencing this fallen world, but I have a God who is greater than this fallen world. And that's where I'm going to fix my eyes. Wow, I wish that churches around this country, churches around this world would communicate that message, that honest vulnerability where, where pain is welcome and the remedy to pain is freely distributed, Jesus Christ. Uh, but most of our churches don't have that focus. Uh, they pass off uh, solutions they sing the song of sometimes, it seems to me, of an unreal Jesus. Mm. And I think that's probably why the church has begun to lose its impact. Because the world, as you said earlier, is getting scarier, more uncertain. Threats seem everywhere. And many churches don't have an answer for that. Mm. And it's, it, it really breaks my heart to see that. Mm. And I long for a church, even one where we live here, where the true message of what healing the brokenhearted really looks like. Yeah. And John, I think if our only message is he died for our sins to get us to heaven, then he's just a travel agent and we'll meet him someday in the air. But that's not what he came for. He came to be everything to us. He's the Jesus we need now. There was a guy I taught with years ago, 
And he wrote one book, and this was the name of his book. And I love the title, The Supplied Life. You know, I, and it's Philippians 4. My God will supply all your needs. And here's where grammar and language is so important. He does not say out of the riches of God in Christ Jesus. You say, well, why is that so important? John, if I had a million dollars and I gave you a dollar, I have given you out of my riches. But that's not the words the Holy Spirit used. He said, my God shall supply all your needs, language, according to the riches of God in Christ. What that means is, if I have a million dollars and I'm going to give you according to, I'm going to give you a million dollars. He gives according to his riches. That's why we can do all things through Christ. Oh, wow. I'm waiting, my friend. And listeners, just if you don't figure this out already, there ain't no way on this planet Frank Friedman is going to give me a million dollars. But you heard <laughs> it. I think I'm going to hold him to it. You know, Frank, you make a statement in your book, uh, getting back to the church and the false Sunday smiles and the picture of Jesus that isn't the Savior we've been talking about. You make this statement, and we're going to finish up with this thought. I fear that the church wants to provide the remedy of Jesus, but that remedy would be apart from the pain that requires him to be that remedy. Mm. So it's almost like they want to, they want to detach the happy, smiling Savior baby in a manger Jesus from the man of sorrows acquainted with grief on the cross, suffering Jesus. What do you mean by that statement? And we'll wrap it up with this. <sighs> I love that he is acquainted with grief. That, that's a terrible translation. It's really he's intimately acquainted with grief. So he knows what it's like to live in a fallen world. John, he's God. He could have saved us any way he wanted to. He could have saved us from the throne room, but he chose to become one of us. He chose to experience what it means to live in a fallen world. So Jesus, I know this is a phrase you use often, he will get in the trenches with you because he's been in the trenches himself. That's our savior. Amen, certainly is. Well, friends, thanks again for joining this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. We've been chatting through Frank's newest book, Finding God in the Gray, The Lonely Path of Pain. Please check it out on Amazon. And while you're online, visit our website, ourresolutehope.com. Take a few moments, browse around. We've got lots of stuff there. Sign up for our newsletter. Let us hear from you. Pastor Frank has got a number of social media outlets, Facebook and Instagram. Check him out there. Send a message. Communicate with us. We'd love to hear what's on your heart. And finally, I'll close, as always, with this reminder from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls. So today and always, choose hope. Choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com 
and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.